Welcome to Booked, where two guys don't read any books and just enjoy their summer off. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be... Oh. Yeah, see? <laughs> it's, like... it's weird, right? <laughs> it's like muscle memory. Um, I, I don't know what to uh, say. Um, this episode, we did not read a book. Yeah, I hope you didn't expect us to, because this is our lazy summer of podcasting. Probably the best idea Livius has ever had. Um but I we tell did, you, I've I've read zero books, and I'm just I'm like so confused by the whole concept. <laughs> I, when this is over, you know we're just going to cancel the podcast, right? We're going to review Japanese anime cartoons. That's going to be our like Naruto. Yeah, that's like the only, that. that's like the name I know. So I okay. hope that's relevant. Sure, it's, I think I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, t- this episode we are bringing you um, all the way from the Big Apple. Author Rob Hart. We're going to have him on for an interview, but before we bring him on, I'm just going to read you his bio that we pulled from, um, probably right from some divine power. From from the last document we had when we reviewed this book, is that where that oh, came yeah. from? From two episodes ago. Uh, Rob Hart is the associate publisher at MysteriousPress.com and the class director at Lit Reactor. Previously, he has been a political reporter. I like the term cub reporter. Like if you're a new reporter, like you're a cub reporter. I thought that was just people that covered baseball. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Are we going to get really territorial and talk about Chicago a lot? I'm not real passionate about Chicago, so probably not. <laughs> no, right. uh, he was the communications director for a politician and the and a commissioner for the city of New York. We've already got some questions playing out about that commissioner, commissioner role. Uh, Rob is also the author of, or he is the author of, The Last Safe Place, which is a zombie novella. And his short stories have appeared in Shotgun Honey, Crime Factory, Thuglet, Needle, Quick Crimes, Quick with a K, KW. Edgy. <laughs> Edgier, that way. If it was KU, that would be weird. Um, and Helix, I'm fucking just not paying attention tonight. Wow. Helix Literary Magazine. His debut novel, New York, is out now and received quite a glowing review from Booked, if you, uh, if you do remember a couple episodes back. I really like that book. We're going to have to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure it'll come up. Rob, thanks for, uh, it's, you know, it's been a long time coming, I guess. But it, it's it's about time that, that we have you on. So thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us here at Booked. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm glad that we've able been able to sort of put our rivalry aside, uh, you know, so that we can all be cordial for more than five minutes at a time. I've got about five minutes in me, I'll tell you. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) I really wish, you know what, in retrospect, we put that whole little blip on the radar to bed super quick. I think we could have milked that a little bit. I'm a little sad that we, you know, like that, that was, well, okay, so this is, we're still in the, in the the beginning phases of this, but there's talk of bringing back the Lit Reactor podcast uh, maybe in the next few months. So let's start thinking about ways to fuck with each other. Oh, another opportunity. I like this. Yeah. Excellent news. Excellent. Um, So right off the bat, um, there's a burning question that we need you to answer, and that is, um, I guess it's not really so much a question as just kind of more of a a directive. Tell us what you think about New York. The city. The -hmm. city, yeah. Um, You know, it's... I'll, I'll kind of preface that we're going to be talking about your book, so I think it's a nice yeah. um, kind of perspective going into talking about your book. Yeah, 
It's it's a weird place, man. I mean, I I love the fact that I was born here. I love that I was raised here. Uh, I think it's an incredibly amazing and giving and beautiful city. And I also believe it'll really wear on you. Um, not to not to cheat too much and skip ahead, but part of the reason that I wrote New York was because I was sort of working through some of my own feelings uh, because I started it at a time when I kind of thought I needed to move away. I needed to get a different perspective. I needed to live in a different city. I felt like I was being smothered and by this place. And uh, it didn't work out that way. I ended up staying. But, you know, it's 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 this weird sort of dual nature of it that, uh, you know, you you love it so much and you hate it so much, but you sort of can't be away from it. It was very clear from reading New York, and we talked a little bit about it on the podcast, that um, – you know, initially I thought, man, he really loves New York. And then I, I kind of realized probably days after we did the review, I was thinking about it and I thought, no, I think he's just very passionate about it and not it's a different thing. And that's kind of why that question popped up. It was such a huge part of your book. Um, but it, and just because it was a huge part of your book, I think there's there's a, a, a likelihood that people think that it's it's a love affair. But it, I guess afterwards, it's just more of a, you know, like love affairs can be rocky. And that's kind of what, what struck me about it. And that's kind of why I wanted to get your take on the city itself. Yeah, I think love affair, I, I would say more like love letter, you know, and a love letter doesn't always necessarily have to be great from beginning to end. Um, sometimes you want to talk about the parts that are hard. But uh, yeah, I Man, I, I, I think this is the greatest city in the world, and I enjoy it so much. And then some days, I like I'm commuting to work, and the the train is running late, and there are five million people bumping me on the subway platform, and it's hot, and everything's expensive, and it sucks, and I hate it, and I want to leave. Uh, I was up in the mountains this weekend for my brother's wedding in uh, the Lake George region, which is like four hours north of here. And I was like, man, I would fucking love to live up here in just a quiet little house and there's no traffic and there's no assholes. And, but I, I, I couldn't do it. Ultimately, I would always come back here. <clears throat> this question wasn't pre-planned at all, but um, it occurs to me that I really look at your book as, you know, aside from it being itself, um, definitely like a New York book, a New York story. Um do you have some that you love or hate that come to mind really quickly that that kind of focus around or, or take place in New York? Yeah, uh, the my my favorite book ever, uh, ever full stop, which I also think is the best book ever written about New York City is uh, in the city of Shy Hunters by Tom Spanbauer. Uh, it's it's phenomenal. It came out in, I think, 2001. And it's about uh, this this uh, gay guy who comes to New York City in, I think it's like the, the early 80s, like during the AIDS crisis, and uh, falls in love with this drag queen, performance artist, and, and it's he's looking for an old lover. And it's, it's just the most beautiful, beautiful thing I've ever read in my life. And it really sort of, it gets New York City in a way that's both really fundamental and also both timeless. Like there are things that I'm reading and I'm like, you know, the city is so different now than it was in the 80s, but... I understand what you're saying, and I still see these things. Um, I can tell you one that I hate also, uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by Jonathan Safran Foer. I think it's the worst fucking book I've ever read in my life, and I hate him. Like, wow. with a burning passion. It's such a bad book. It is, it's it's a fucking disaster book. It's like, let's take everything horrible and tragic about 9-11, and let's sort of internalize it so I can tell you how it affected and made me sad my white privileged life like 
God, that fucking book. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, those, those are the ones that for me. Can we talk really quick about the 9-11 thing? Um, yes. That's one of the things that, from my perspective, obviously being a Chicagoan and not a New Yorker or not from even the East Coast, because the people who weren't there for it can't grasp it in the way that New Yorkers do, how do you think that affects like its universal um, uh, impact when, when someone's reading a book that or a story or watching a movie that, that involves you know, the tragedy surrounding 9-11? It's, you know, it's weird um, because I I didn't and none of us lived through the Holocaust, but that has been sort of interpreted and explained through art in a way that's made us better able to understand it. Um, I think that any any form of art, be it books or movies or, you know, just paintings are, are a vehicle for sort of humanizing tragedy and making tragedy something that can be made universal so that people can understand it. Uh, now, I, I want to preface all of this by saying that I'm not trying to claim any sort of, I'm not trying to say that I contributed anything to the conversation. I mean, I did use it as part of my book, and I do think it's okay to explore tragedy through art, but um sort of feel like I'm talking myself into a circle here. I, I guess because it's such a sensitive thing, you know, like you don't want to, you don't want to do what Jonathan Safran Foer did, which is take something really terrible and turn it into this cute little, like, I'm going to make a flip book where people float back up into the towers because I've got the mentality of a fucking three-year-old, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's I, I think it's important for, for writers and artists to explore this uh, so that, again, you can take these things and make them universal for people so people can understand it and sort of get that perspective that they wouldn't necessarily have. Yeah, it has to be a really slippery slope um, for somebody to make it a focus because um, you're going to get the people who celebrate it because it's a, um, I don't know, a memorial and you're going to get others that criticize it because you've taken a tragedy and made it the focal point. So I, I you know, again, much like Rob, I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm in Chicago. What happened was terrible, but I know I can't relate to, to it being, you know, having been the Sears Tower or something or being, you know, my neighborhood where, where that happened. But yeah, it, it's got to be the, the I would hope that even Jonathan Zaffron Ford, I would hope that he put a lot of thought into doing that, even if he did the wrong thing, that at least he didn't just say, yeah, I'm going to write a book that's going to be kind of about 9-11, but not, you know what I mean, and, and come out with, and I never read the book, so I can't speak for, for the exact content, but I, I would have to imagine that, I would hope it's a grave decision that someone makes to do that. Using it as a, as a um, you know, plot point in a story is a completely different thing, because I can't imagine in, in New York that, you're, you know, anybody's life isn't affected somehow, at least by somebody who lived there at the time. So, yeah. Know. Yeah, it's almost on a par with, like, um, <clears throat> You get the zombie movies where they won't say the word zombie. <laughs> I have to imagine it's kind of like if you have a New York story that takes place after 2011 and you don't have something that's, you know, it's it's an, it's a universal impact. But um, I guess, yeah, I agree with you, Rob. It needs to be it needs to be talked about. It needs to be uh, a part of our culture. But there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. I guess that's essentially what you're saying. And I think that's perfect. I think you couldn't have said that better. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that... Um... I, I think that you're you're absolutely right too in saying that you can't you you can't write about the fundamental fundamental nature of New York City anymore without acknowledging how that changed the city. You know, I mean, I was having this conversation with someone recently about how uh, 
it was someone who was a little bit older than me who uh, we, we, we have very different views of the police departments. And that's because his police department, the one that he grew up with, you know, it was like the friendly beat cop who like, you know, was his buddy and, and knew everyone on the block and was really nice and would look the other way on something minor. Whereas I grew up with police officers who are and this was even a little bit before 9-11, but so much more afterward was basically like a militarized force. So even as something as simple as that, it really changes your perspective. To me, the police are this scary, scary thing because they're also living in a post 9-11 world where something as simple as someone leaving a backpack on the subway can be a very, very scary thing for people. So it, the, the way that it's sort of changed people's perspectives and people's ideas, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's gotten down to the DNA level. All right. Now that we've talked about the worst <laughs> New York book ever written, <laughs> let's, um, let's talk a little bit about New York. Do you want to give our listeners kind of the, the elevator pitch on what, uh, what New York is? Sure. Uh, New York is a private detective story. It's about a young kid who is basically at the beginning of his career uh, before he becomes a private detective who does favors for people, finds people and carries things around New York City and sort of works on a barter system or sometimes accepts money for it. And one day finds out that the woman he loves got killed and decides, well, I'm going to go after the guy who killed her and just does it with all the grace of a wrecking ball. And it's it's basically a story about a dumb kid who's trying really hard to find his moral compass and is finding that there are these recurring cycles of violence in his life that are, are kind of smothering him. Uh, and we follow him along as he gets into deeper and deeper trouble. Um, so you said something interesting there that it's before he becomes a private detective. It sounds like you have some, uh, some, some farther reaching plans for, for Ash. Is that, is that accurate? Do we have a, a much longer story already developed for him? Yeah. To my mind, it's a, uh, it's a five book series and it's, it's sort of not to give too much away, but it's, it's sort of leading him through the things in his life. That's going to turn him into the person that he's going to be. So, uh, each one is also it's in a different location because then I just get to write about places that I really like. And each one is sort of like a, a play on a different crime and mystery genre. Like the first one is very hard boiled. Uh, the second one, City of Rose, which is coming out in February, it's a bit more of a Western, but sort of like how Roadhouse is a Western. Uh, you know, like Shane was sort of like my big inspiration for that. But Roadhouse is basically like a modern version of Shane, where it's like, you know, stranger rolls into town and takes care of the corrupt status quo and sacrifices himself for it. Uh, and then from here, we're going to get into sort of like this Agatha Christie-ish thing on a hippie commune and then a, a sort of take on a spy novel in Eastern Europe. And the plan right now is for the fifth one to come back home. So that's kind of like the rough idea. I mean, that's still a couple of years away, so I don't know if anything's going to change, but that's that's the general sense that I have right now. Then the setup for the second book kind of was was plugged in at the end of New York to where, um, uh, if I remember, it's, taking, it's uh, taking him down toward Austin, right? So the second book, and, and the original idea was to set it in Austin, but I moved it over to Portland, Oregon, because that seems like such a weird place to set a Western. And it's a town I have a lot of affinity for. I've been there for I've been there six or seven times, probably, because uh, my 
very good friend lived there. And that's where I took the dangerous writing workshop with Tom Spanbauer. And that's where Wordstock was. So I feel like I knew Portland a little bit better than Austin. So I, uh, yeah, I, I had such a blast writing about it. It was, it, it's such a weird, fun little town. So I'm curious to see how people react to it because in the first book I'm writing about a city that I know very well. And so in the second one, I'm writing about one that I've only been to a couple of times and I don't know as well. So I'm curious to see what the impact is going to be. I, um, it's interesting that you say that. So I really liked the, I don't know how to say it, like the gangs that ran New York and how like kind of quirky they were. They reminded me a little bit of like watching the warriors, you know, where each yeah. group had very distinct characteristics. Um, is that something is so when you originally, when I was thinking Austin, I was like, well, it'd be interesting to see if he kind of does more of that. Um, in Portland, that could be actually insane. Is that, is that something that uh, might make an appearance in the book? Well, just just real quick, because I because I have to at least acknowledge it. The Warriors was definitely one of my influences. I uh, I love that movie. And uh, in terms of in terms of that, I Portland to to Ash is sort of it, it's a town he doesn't know very well because he's only there for I think two months when the book starts. So he and I, it, it's actually that that was a little bit easy because we're both sort of looking at it as an outsider. So. There's not going to be as much of that ingrained knowledge, but there is some really weird stuff. Um, like, for example, during the research phase of the book, I found that the Mexican cartels are huge in Portland because when they when they uh, made ephedrine illegal and you had to, you know, like you can only get it through a prescription, you have to get pseudoephedrine, uh, the cartels sort of really stepped in for the meth trade. And the same thing when prescription pills uh, were harder to get. So there, there were all these cool little weird quirks that you, you can play with. So, yeah, I, I had a good bit of fun with it. It's interesting. I wouldn't think of Mexican cartels in Portland. That, that's an interesting tidbit there. Um, not. I was watching a, uh, a documentary on the Portland drug trade and just saw that and went nuts. I was like, yep, that helps me. My experience, I was in Portland for about two days. Um, at the end of the last AWP, which um, Rob, you and I, I think that that's where we met, right? Uh, the Seattle AWP. Wait, am I wrong about that? Seattle, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So after Seattle, I went down to Portland for like a t- like a day and a half. It was just like a very short amount of time, <clears throat> so I didn't have a lot of time to really take it in. I had no time to take it in, really. But there was one full day, and I, I am not fucking making this up, where the only thing I ate was donuts. For, yeah, that sounds about right. For a whole day in Portland. So really my impression is books, donuts, alcohol. That's my whole yeah. impression of Portland. So Well, their food game is just on point. I mean, you uh, it is really hard to have a bad meal there. Uh so and and the the listeners will will know this from your bio that we read. Uh you're involved in the literary world in actually a bunch of different ways. Uh being a, a publisher, being um, the class director for Lit Reactor, being a, a, an author, um, does uh, do they kind of impact each other? Because like most people that we talk to, they're an author, but then they're like a math teacher, like Paul, Paul Tremblay, the last person we talked to. Um, they don't kind of have like these different lives within, and even you do the podcast as well. So how do those kind of impact each other? Is that a good thing or is that sometimes like a difficult thing to handle? 
it's 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 kind of weird. I I. I have to admit and acknowledge that, yeah, being in the publishing world has helped me a great deal because you're sort of out there and you're networking and you're meeting people and you're you're sort of you're you're learning how the sausage is made. So you're getting that insider view. It could also be a little tough because I spend the day maybe I, I'm editing a book that I really like or, you know, doing a whole bunch of class stuff for Lit Reactor. And then I get home and I'm looking at something that I'm writing and I'm like, well, fuck this. I can't handle this right now. I'm just going to watch cartoons for a little while and go to sleep. So it can kind of, in a lot of ways, like before I was in publishing, like when I worked in politics before this, it was very easy to, to do something all day that I wasn't passionate about and then come home and do the thing that I was passionate about. And now it's sort of, I get to do the thing that I'm passionate about during the day. And then sometimes I come home and I'm spent, but that, that that's very minor on the grand scheme. Uh, on a whole, it's been very, it, it's been great. I love it. Um, through working with publishing and Lit Reactor, you've had the opportunity to spend time around some some pretty big name and influential writers kind of prior to releasing your first full-length novel. So now that, that you've published the book, how, how does it feel to be around those same people? Because I mean, even, you know, in, in clearly in your mind, I would think that in their minds, you know, your 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 resume has changed significantly. That's that's really weird because I still am completely like tongue tied around authors that I admire. So you you sort of I, I mean, it, it, it's my first book. Part of me feels like I made it and part of me feels like I'm still not, you know, like I'm still trying to get there. Uh, it, it's sort of like this complicated mix of emotion where you're sort of convincing yourself like this is it and no one's read it and no one cares and everyone thinks I'm a fraud. So uh, in, in terms of I, I feel like kind of what you're asking is like, do you start to feel like kind of like like you're an equal with certain people or I think it's more like so a lot of the authors that we talk about who are, are um, just getting agents, just getting book deals, that type of thing. Um, I'll use that as an example. They are. Their contemporaries are the people that they spend the majority of their time with are people who are at the same kind of level. But um, it seems like you have kind of a different kind of a skewed access uh, from the other parts of your life. So it, it would seem to me that that would be intimidating. You know, like if I were um, God, this is a fucking dumb example and I don't mean this at all. But like if we were hanging out with the people from like, uh, you know, um, NPR or, or something who had like huge, you know, podcasts, whatever. I would feel like, you know, really awkward being there because I'd feel like we're, we're entirely different people. But at the same time, we do the same thing. So um, I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I, I expected it would be a little intimidating. Yeah, there's definitely a feeling of, you know, did this person read my book? Did they read it and not like it and they're not saying anything? Like, do they think I'm an asshole? Um, yeah, it's 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 a little it's a little scary because. You you sort of you you feel like you're in like this special little club, but I think especially when you're starting out, and I'm sure for a little while afterward, you also kind of feel like you snuck in and you shouldn't be there, you know. Yeah, but that's like those are the opportunities that you have to grab and run with because, fucking, why not, right? <laughs> yeah, there's something about this whole thing. I'm 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 coming off the I'm I'm sort of at the end of the the big first wave right now where. We did a lot of the promo and I've done all my events and it's what someone very accurately referred to as the calm after the calm, you know, like you just 
you go home and everything's the same and you, you, you it's, it's, it's weird because you feel different, but you don't feel different. It, it's, it's like when, when you get married, you know, like you feel kind of different because you're married, but it's also, if you were living with the person, it's like, well, yeah, you know, we still sleep in the same bed and talk about the same goofy shit. So it's a, it's, it's a very, very strange mix of emotion. I'd have to imagine, um, to lighten it up a little bit, <laughs> I couldn't resist your, <laughs> because of your bio, um, I wrote this question in jokingly, but Livius just prompted me to ask you, um, because you were a commissioner <laughs> for the city of New York, uh, in your bio, my question is what's, what's Batman like in real life? He's a dick. Um, oh, shit. he just, he growls at you and acts like an asshole. Um, yeah, no, that, that, that was weird. Um, so I, I used to work in city hall and I, I, I did press for a, uh, a city councilman and I got friendly with, uh, the speaker of the city council, who's like, sort of like the top dog there. And, and she was running for mayor and she lost sadly. And which was too bad because I liked her a lot, but, uh, you know, they had to do a redistricting commission, which is basically get a bunch of people together and they sit down and they figure out how the lines are drawn for, for all the elected officials. And they were like, oh, do you want to do this? And I should have probably said no to it because it was a huge time suck. But I also really wanted to say I was a commissioner for the city of New York because who wouldn't want to say that? Um, and, and it was totally like an honorary thing and I didn't get paid or anything. It was just sort of like this goofy thing that I can put in my bio and then make jokes about. But it was it was fun while I did it because I, you know, it's 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 incredibly boring to most people, but it was really interesting to me to kind of sit at the table and get the the inside view on that process. I That's awesome, <laughs> first of all. Um, second of all, I know exactly what you feel like because I love saying that I'm an award-winning podcaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, no matter how, like, you know, globally impacted that, that actual award is, so... Um, that's really cool. It's, and I will say that it does add quite, it does kind of, it does kind of jump out on your, on your bio, a commissioner. Hmm. I mean, at the end of the day that, I mean, I, I, I didn't reap anything from it. Like I said, I got no money. Um, the, I, I got no favors. I got nothing out of it. It was just a thing that I could say I did. So I spent a couple of months doing this so I can have a goofy line in my bio and it was totally worth it. So we, uh, it came up a little bit at the top of the podcast, but you, um, you have quite a bit of involvement with Lit Reactor, which is really one of the biggest writing website communities um, that that's out there currently. What's what? What do you do with Lit Reactor? And give us a little bit of your uh, your take on why Lit Reactor has been so successful. Well, I run the class program, so I recruit authors and other publishing people like editors and agents to come in and do classes. And I also do some editorial work on the site and development work. And it's, uh, it's been a hell of a trip. I mean, I love doing this job because this is what I came up through. You know, I would not be where I am without the, the community that first started, uh, at the cult at Chuck Polinick's website and then turned into lit reactor where you had, a lot of people who were getting started and didn't really know how to focus were supporting each other and giving each other advice and giving each other help. I mean, without the writing workshop and the classes, I, I never, never would have gotten a book published. I never would have been focused enough to learn enough. So 
to my mind, lit reactor sort of it, it fills holes that you wouldn't be able to fill otherwise. Like, for example, if you wanted to get MFA and you don't have the money or you don't have the time, you can maybe take some classes at lit reactor and you can step up your game without having to make such a significant investment. So I, I always kind of us as like an a la carte you know, alternative. Um, I'm not anti-MFA. I think they can be very useful if you want to go and get one, but some people just don't have that opportunity. I never really had that opportunity. I couldn't take, you know, two years or, or a couple of weeks at a time and dedicate that just to writing stuff. I, I had to work. So uh, it's it's an incredibly engaging and supportive community. And I, I it just, it, the happiest I am is when I see that Lit Reactor members are publishing stuff, they're getting their name in journals, they're starting new projects, they're starting writing groups together. The way it just sort of gathers its own head of steam and, and turns into something, it's 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 fantastic. Aside from some minor little headbutts that we've had, uh, Booked has always been uh, very um, in love with Lit Reactor and its people. Um, and in, in our travels, we've had the benefit or the luxury of, of being able to meet some of these people. Um, do you want to roll call some of the amazing people at Lit Reactor? Because it seems like everybody that we talk to is just uh, uh, just great people and very enthusiastic and, and genuine. And um, they probably deserve a shout out, right? Oh, God, yeah. Um, I mean, there's Dennis and Kirk who run the site who are, you know, it, it's a labor of love for them. They put so much time and effort into it when they have like careers of their own. So. I mean, the amount of work that they've done is incredible. And you guys just did that fantastic podcast with Brandon Teets. Um, Brandon is a great guy. Uh, Renee Pickup and Emma, uh, they are the um, the class facilitators and they do a great job. And they're incredibly talented writers, you know, uh, of their own. Uh, my agent, Brie Ogden, which is actually kind of how I hooked up with her, was through Lit Reactor. Uh, Richard Thomas. It's, 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 there's just so many cool people associated with the site. Following up on original, and maybe we could talk more a little bit about your, your semi-announcement at the top of the, the podcast. I mean, really, we, Rob and I, feel very strongly that podcasting is the only social medium that should be accepted anymore. And you did quite a bit of work with uh, Unprintable. What was that experience like for you? It was a lot of fun. It was it was a little difficult because scheduling wise, me and Josh were always, we 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 were busy a lot. Kath is busy too, but Kath lived in Norway, so with the time difference, trying to that's part of the reason it fell off. It's because with that huge time difference and the three of us having such busy schedules, it got so hard that we all kind of got to a point where we threw our hands up and we were like, "Well, fuck it, we can't handle this shit right now," and we've had so many people ask us to bring it back. I mean, we get at least like once or twice a month, I hear from someone, be it through Twitter or someone drops me a note and they're like, you guys should do this again. So uh, I'm not going to say exactly what we have planned yet because we're still working it out, but we're, we're trying to figure out a way to make the schedules a little bit more cohesive. Uh, so I'm hoping maybe come September we'll be back on the air and it's a, uh, it's a fantastic format. It's a blast. It just it sucks that it's so hard to put together. I mean, I'm I'm sort of envious of you guys because I mean the the amount of the, the output you guys have is remarkable. Um, and and it's it's great to see you guys just nailing it week after week. 
I mean, if you wanted us to just run shit on Lit Reactor, if, you, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> Aren't you running like six podcasts right now or something? Oh, we're on oh. two and I'm trying to talk Rob into an anime review, but he's just, he's not having any of it. I just don't want to watch anime. I mean, really, it just comes down to I don't want to. I don't want to watch anime. Can I be the like? Um... <laughs> You're the guy. I explain it all to. Drawn. drawn. I can be. Yeah, the guy. That, I could be, be like. The, yeah. I could represent the audience. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah, it's you know what? It's more work than people think, and I think that's yeah. the 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 problem is for for a listener. It's you know whatever forty five minutes on a you know a car ride to work on a Wednesday morning, but it takes hours to put together. You know yeah. something that's listenable, or like I said, get forbid you decide to review books because then it's like six or seven hours before you start preparing you know what i mean it's it's a lot of work and i don't think people yeah, and, quite get that yeah and this also isn't the kind of job that you can retire on you know this is a th- this is a thing that you're either really really passionate about or you do three episodes and you're done yeah yeah i mean booked is currently bringing in i don't want to brag we're bringing in like hundred of dollars <laughs> yeah on a we monthly f- basis nice. like, yeah, yeah it's hundred of dollars is, is yeah. really where we're at so yeah uh, it's not exactly. So I, I guess the perspective I have about um, about what you said about booked and our and our uh, our output is um, this is our one one thing we have. So Livius and I have our nine to five day jobs, and then we have booked. Uh, whereas you know you do so much outside of your 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 job before you get to the podcast, and a lot of the other people who make podcasts. They have their job, then they have their passion, and then they have the podcast. So I think we have a we have an advantage because this is our our, our passion project. Yeah, I mean we're we, we were always passionate about it, but but it was one of those things that there was always so much other stuff that was going on. It was sort of hard to peg down. Um, and again, we we're we're hoping that's going to change soon because it's it's such a great great format. We had so much fun doing it, and it's it, it bums me out sometimes though that that it fell off. But you know. We're going to give it another shot and see what happens. All right. You've done some pretty detailed documentation of the publishing process through, through, throughout. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing as early as while New York was still being written um, and through various articles on Lit Reactor. If there was one piece of advice you could give to someone who maybe is, is starting to like wrap up their first draft, what would it be? That you have to, you have to be patient um, a lot of mistakes and a lot of problems that aspiring authors create for themselves. It's because they've stopped being patient and they've started to panic, you know, like getting obnoxious with an agent who is still reading your stuff or, you know, freaking out about whether or not an editor is going to get back to you. You know, it's a, it's a long, frustrating process, and you're, you're going to hear no a lot more than you're going to hear yes. So you sort of – you need to go into it with the understanding some time, and it's going to be hard. Um, this is why, you know, scams persist, why something like Author Universe, which – like vanity publishers that will completely fuck up your shit and take all of your money and not give you a good product, this is why they persist. Because people get impatient and they get panicked and they're like, no, but I need to be published right now. Um, a lot, it, it, it's very hard because, you know, you could be a musician and you could record an album in a week and then your friends can listen to it and they can go, oh, cool. You might start your book. I mean, I started New York five years ago and now people are reading it. So it's like that's a long damn time until 
you see a project come to fruition. And in that space in between, it's very easy to start freaking out. Dude, this po- this episode of this podcast is going to be posted probably in 12 hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I, I think that um, the desire to self-publish to get out there, you know, Rob just made a joke about how this is going to be online in 12 hours. You know, this is a medium that supports that. But I think a lot of when I say young writers, I mean, people who are kind of new to the public game um it's so easy to push the self-publish button and some of those books just don't get the exposure they need because somebody you know rushed it somebody was like book's done i've done some good edits i can you know 12 hours this can be on amazon for people to buy and i know a few writers that i kind of suffer from that and it's a uh, i would imagine it's a good piece of advisations yeah and though at the same time self-publishing isn't bad uh as long as you go into it with the right expectation i mean i self-published uh a novella called the last safe place and that was the first thing of mine that ever came out and i don't regret it i thought it was fun and i got to learn some different things like how to code an ebook and you know got to tell a goofy little zombie story about governor's island and you know, with self-publishing, you have to have the right expectations because, you know, someone writes about a self-publisher who sells a million copies and makes hundreds of thousands of dollars and a person thinks, oh, I could do that. And the reason that person is in the news is because that's the exception to the rule. You know, the rule being that most people don't see a lot of money out of it. Some people are very good business people and they're able to spin it into something lucrative. But, you know, there was I, I think people are getting smarter about it. But there was this narrative for a very long time that self-publishing was just you did it and then you started raking in the money, which is not the case. You know, I did it because it was a fun exercise and I enjoyed it and I still sell some copies every month and it's a blast. Uh, I, I never expected to get rich off this, but it's something that forever and ever I have the right to and you know i make all the money off it i don't share it with the publisher so it's fun uh some people i've seen get into self-publishing and they hit that publish button and they're like oh why haven't i sold ten thousand copies yet and it's you know that's why you need a traditional publisher for stuff like that you need someone who's gonna be helping you get reviews and exposure and and all those things that self-publishers have to fight tooth and nail to get Oh, Olivia, this totally fits right in because um, in like three days, it's the two-year anniversary of the book anthology, which was like completely self-published. And um, yeah, we don't expect to see anybody buying that shit, right? No, nope. <laughs> nope, not at all. You know, Rob, <laughs> I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back a step too because this was something that was kind of tickling my brain earlier. And we're talking about kind of marketing and, and publishing. Do you see? I mean, do you have? I don't know how to ask this without sounding like I'm, I'm like trying to dig into your pocketbook. Do you see sales results from region? Does does New York do better in New York because of the title? You know, I have very steadfastly avoided any sales numbers thus far. I have no idea how many copies I've sold. Uh, I don't want to because I feel like if I start thinking about it, I'm going to psych myself out. And this sort of goes back to, you know, the curse of working in the publishing industry is because I kind of have a sense of what numbers mean to a publisher. So I don't want to start making guesses as to what's going on and where I am. So I I just all I know is that my publisher is happy and he returns my emails and is talking (laughs) about the third book, which I'm not signed for yet, but he's excited about. That is my only metric. He still wants to be friends. So 
That's probably a great way to look at any endeavor, I think, is, is um, you know, focus on the work and, and keep away from, you know, the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it, it's probably pretty easy to become a miserable bastard if you're looking at, I mean, the highs probably are really like a, a temporary high, but the lows are probably a really, really long low. So, um to, <laughs> I can't remember who it was, but someone was talking about like uh, someone's writer advice was never look at the Goodreads uh, reviews, like, <laughs> never look at Goodreads. And um, there's got to be wisdom in that because like you can just because you're taking it through, you're filtering all of that uh, that feedback or I guess in this uh, in, in this conversation it would be sales um, numbers through your your own personal ap- approach, and you're always your worst. Um, uh, critic, so so it's ne- it, it's probably never a good idea. I actually I, I do disagree though. I I don't think reading reviews is bad. Um, I mean, so I got I got some nice coverage in the trades, and uh, most of them most of them sort of agreed on one point, and they they were like, "This is a good book. We like it, but the plot is is too intricate, or it doesn't make sense, or it's convoluted." And that's something that I even saw play out, you know, on Goodreads and and in other places. And and I can't disagree with that. I think that there were opportunities in reading negative reviews to sort of learn what I might have done wrong. Um, But then, you know, then there are also just assholes. Like I just got my first one star review on Amazon and it was awesome. It was like worst book I've ever read. Not worth the time. And I'm like, that's it. Like, can't give me anything else to work here. But um, and you have to understand, too, not everyone is going to like your book, you know, and, and I understand that there are going to be people who review it who just into the crime and mystery genre or they don't like stuff too dark. So I try to go at it like that. I mean, not to say that I'm, I see a bad review and I'm like, cool, how awesome is this? Because it, it, it's not nice to see someone basically say, like, this person, this book sucks. So, Rob, uh we know that you've got the this next book in the um the the series coming up uh but that may not necessarily be the next thing we see some from you so uh so what's coming up with with uh with our mr rob hart so in october i have a my first science fiction story coming out in an anthology called occupied earth uh which was kind of funny because it got picked up by my publisher uh after i agreed to contribute a story to it so that's uh, that's put together by Gary Phillips and Richard Brewer, and it's it's really really cool. It's it's the the idea is that it's you know twenty years after an alien invasion and the Earth is occupied. It's basically like Nazi occupied France, except the Nazis are aliens, and you know things still kind of suck, but still kind of run on time. And so I did my first story, really tapping into my political background, and and that was a hell of a good time writing. Um, then otherwise, right now, the so I've got the second book in February, and I'm just trying to figure out what to do next. Like I've got a million different ideas, kind of competing for space, and it's hard to it's it's hard to choose a direction. Um, I know that I want to stick with the the New York to Ash McKenna series through at least five books, but I also have an idea right now for like a YA fantasy thing for my daughter uh, because she. She has a heart condition, so I had this idea that I was kind of kicking around and figured out a way to sort of write this main character that has the same kind of condition but spin it as a strength rather than a weakness. So it's basically like 
A, it's my gift to her, and B, it's the thing that she's going to be able to read before, like, she's 18. So I'm hoping to start working on that soon. Very cool. I personally am looking forward to more um, to more Ash McKenna because um, I really think you uh, you did a great job with the first one. Um, is there anything else you want to plug before we let you go? Uh, not really. I mean, you know, you got uh, anyone who's listening. If you're an aspiring writer, check out the classes at Lit Reactor. Um, oh, and yeah, right now I'm reading the Small Backs of Children by Lydia Yuknovich, and it's it's fucking remarkable. Um, I think everyone should read this book. So the reactor classes and Lydia's new book. There we go. Um, that was probably the most succinct. Um, uh, what you want to plug section we've ever had on one of our interviews. I, I like it. Um. <laughs> well, you know, I can, I can, I could sit here and plug stuff all day and then eventually you guys are going to get frustrated with me or I'm literally going to sweat to death in the attic. So, uh, you know, I like to keep it concise. Awesome. Well, Rob, thanks so much. I'm glad we finally got you on the podcast to to talk a little bit. Um, and yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was uh, this was fantastic. Big thanks to Rob Hart. Um, a great interview and one another one that's a long time coming. Like I feel like we should add Rob on like a year ago at least. Yeah, it's one of those ones, and I think this happens a lot where um, it's just kind of a what's it called when a, a bunch of different like rivers come together. A collusion? No, that's that's more like anyway. a river. A river? A river? A, one big river? <laughs> it's it's a river of circumstances where, <laughs> um, you know, schedules don't line up. Uh, release dates, you know, are are in the balance and, and and a bunch of different stuff. But um, yeah, dude, he's been um, I want to call him a colleague for a long time, and um. And I don't even want to look back. I think that my appearance on the Lit Reactor podcast on Printable was back in 2013, right? It's all right. So. It's crazy. Long time ago. All right. The internet is conspiring against us, so we're going to cut this short. But um, next week, uh, we will be bringing you our recording of the, uh, the next Noir at the Bar Chicago. That's taking place this Wednesday, July 22nd, just a few days from now. Um, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, it's tomorrow um, at Sylvie's Lounge at 7 p.m. We've got five readers, and it's going to be a great time. Um, so definitely, if you're in Chicago and you are available, or if you're in the surrounding area, uh, come out and join us. It's going to be a, a, a lot of fun. And if you are somewhere in the far reaches of the world and you can't make it, uh, check back next week because we will have those episodes available for you. Hey, Rob, you know what else Wednesday is? Um, I do, but why don't you tell everybody else? It is the two-year birthday of the book anthology. God damn it, man. It's been two years. It's been two years. So, um, any rate, Rob and I will be doing a little mini celebration, I think, on that. And uh, you should totally join us for that. That should be fun. Yeah, I think that we're even might be giving away some stuff, uh, like a flashback of, of stuff that would have been relevant two years ago. Exactly. So um, if you want to find out what cool prizes are available, show up at Sylvie's Lounge um, this coming Wednesday, uh, July 22nd, 7 p.m. Get there early so we can mingle and chit-chat a little bit. And uh, that's it. And uh, we'll see you next week. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.